coming to get you, Barbara. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> I love it, though. Now me, I not only drink really, I really drink. We are Buzz on Movies. That Christmas, I gave you my heart. <laughs> very next day, you stab it away. Honestly, literally, I watched the first Black Christmas yesterday, or two <laughs> days ago, and then last night we had to watch that remake, yeah. and it did stab my heart away. Welcome to Buzzed On Movies. I'm Teddy. I'm Matt. And we are here in person for the first time, uh, recording in my apartment, and um, here in D.C., we're here to bring you our thoughts on both the original Black Christmas and the remake just in time for the holidays. Yeah, it's like our little holiday special, uh, so I'm pretty excited. Got a lot to say, I think, about both of them. They're both ridiculous in their own ways, although the first one is legitimately great, but we'll get to that. Yeah. So our original plan for this episode was uh, we were both going to see uh, the original Black Christmas last night at Sun Cinema here in D.C. Uh, that unfortunately sort of fell through <laughs> due to <laughs> some logistical scheduling with the buses. Yeah, I had a nightmare of a travel down here. Uh, really, really surreal. We left like an hour late from New York and then there was that time where I fell asleep and I woke up thinking I was much closer than I was. <laughs> Turns out we had sat in traffic for a while, so I was very late. Yeah. But um, no, I ended up seeing it with my girlfriend, uh, Lauren, and we both uh, had a really good time at Suns. Sun Cinema is, um, if you have heard of it, it's a fantastic little place here in D.C. It's like a dive bar movie theater. Um, they have like 30 seats or so and uh, like a bar and then that's it. It's basically like watching a movie in your living room with a bunch of strangers. Um, it's just such a fun environment to watch a movie, and especially a horror movie. Like everybody was reacting so well to the movie. Uh, so yeah, Matt, you gotta check it out sometime. I know. I'm really <laughs> sad I couldn't make it. I've been wanting to go to the Sun Cinema for a while, uh, and I missed. You know, I could have stayed back in New York and seen it at the Nighthawk instead, and I just didn't do that. Uh -huh. I did do that last year. I went by myself to the Nighthawk, and you've never been to the Nighthawk. But the theater where I saw Black Christmas there last year is basically in a basement theater there. So you nice. go downstairs, you have no cell reception, it's midnight, and you're watching Black Christmas. And I was just like, well, probably going to die here. How big is that place? Uh, much bigger than the Sun Cinema. Uh -huh. It's like, um, I would say the theater that I saw Black Christmas in is probably seats like 20 to 25. Yeah. Uh -huh. So more than nine. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but um, that still sounds like really cool it is. intimate experience. It is, so. and some of the, they have they have more than one auditorium. They have a few because uh, mm -hmm. they are actually a fully functional new release movie theater too. Right. So, um, so they have some auditoriums that are a little bit bigger. None of them break like fifty. I would say even fifty would be pushing it. So, um, it's probably the biggest is probably like thirty something. That's so, really cool. Yeah. So yeah. they're still small. Um, but you know, lots of food and drinks in house which is nice, um, which is how I got through Black Christmas. I remember drinking a lot of, I, they call it the, um, oh my gosh, why can't I think of it? It's a, it's a, it's a horror film, the Rejuvenator. Um, yeah, they call it that. And it's like basically coffee with liquor. Um, so I drank like four of those <laughs> during Black Christmas 1974. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, that's my theater going experience for Black Christmas, which was awesome. And last year. Nice. Well, um, so getting down to Black Christmas itself, uh, this movie, if you've never seen it before, is 
like one of the ultimate um, precursors of the slasher film genre. Uh, it's really uh, innovative for its time and absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really scary. And I, I feel like we both commented on it last night. It feels like every time we watch it, it gets scarier. It doesn't like soften the right. scariness. It like gets worse. Yeah, and I, it's it's very remarkable in its tone how it manages to uh, be so scary for a movie that came out um, so long ago and um, definitely has a lot of tropes that we've become sort of uh, familiar with and um, hardened to over time. Um, but still, just through like the tone, the performances, everything, it's just absolutely terrifying. Uh, the basic premise is that it takes place um, right at the beginning of Christmas break at a sorority house. Um, mo- most of the girls have gone home or are in the process of leaving for um, the holidays. And they, um, the house starts getting these strange, disturbing calls um, from this guy called Billy, who is sort of like screaming and... Um, insulting them threatening them talking in multiple voices it's uh, they're one of the most disturbing parts of the movie is yeah, the calls the there. phone calls in this are just absolutely terrifying and for something that's it's basically just a voice uh played through you know, sort of a a phone uh distortion and that's all you hear while you see the characters reacting to it is and very scary especially to hear like in a movie theater yeah, yeah, in like a dark movie theater, a quiet, small space surrounded by people. It's very frightening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's they start getting the calls, and then, as you can imagine, this we said this was a precursor to the slasher. This really was the first of its kind in a lot of ways, and it basically, one by one, this, this guy starts taking them off. Um, yeah, and they all uh, sort of get killed in pretty unique ways, which sort of would later become um, a big trope in slasher movies is having unique ways to kill people. The craziest ways. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he'll, like, pull bags over people's heads. Yeah. There's one scene where um, the house mother is coming upstairs into the attic, and he swings, like, a giant hook into her head that punctures her through the mouth and then pulls her up into the attic with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a very iconic moment and absolutely gruesome. Yeah, uh... Yeah, so that part is great. I think um, what sticks with me is like shortly thereafter when you just get the pan out from the window in the attic and you just see the first the first victim with the bag over her head still rocking in the chair and then she's just swinging right. in the background. It's so, so <laughs> disturbing. And the way the movie lingers on all of those pretty much any time there is like a death like that is very sort of like disturbing. Uh, and not like a lot of times a linger can feel a little forced. It never does there. Like it's making you sit with it in, a, in the right way. Yeah. And that, that sort of speaks to the tone of the whole movie. I think it really knows how to play with those harsh, violent moments mixed in with the quieter, uh, more spooky moments. And it balances them so well um, that it really, it just does such a great job of building up tension and releasing it in a, um, in a very useful way. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) I mean, the whole movie's atmosphere is excellent just from start to finish. You know, you start with the party scene and it seems nice and fine. Of course, you know you're going into a movie called Black Christmas. You know it can't possibly end well. (laughs) 
Um, but then, you know, throughout the movie, it maintains this really intense level of dread. And it's, I mean, it's almost overwhelming at times. And the way it uses both the score, which it feels very like dirge-like to me for most of it. Anytime you hear the music, it's like very ominous, very almost omnipresent when it's there. And then omnipresent when it's there, that literally <laughs> is, it is there. Uh, that's, I just, that doesn't actually make any logical sense, but that's fine. Um, and then the howling of the wind gets to me every single time. Like anytime you have an outdoor yeah, scene or it gets yeah. quiet, you hear the, like that really cold, harsh wind and it really is effective. So that's the basic plot of it. Um, one thing that I love about it, just, you know, um, the movie has all of these characters. First of all, all mostly all female. That's awesome. They're all women. Yeah. Um, and there are men, but we can talk about whether or not the men are effective characters. Men are um, differing levels of effectiveness yes, and um, quality. <laughs> um, and which I think is the point, because one of the other great things about this movie is it has a lot of subtext, uh, the whole the whole film, right. I think. Yeah. Um, and most of it, if not all of it, is very strongly feminist. Um you know, so I think that's really, really cool. And all of the characters are so interesting and great, you know, for being a slasher film in 1974 where it didn't necessarily have to give us like interesting characters. It does. We have an abortion subplot. We have a character yeah. who's an alcoholic because of a terrible home life. Like right. what? It did not need to go that hard. And it did. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's part of what makes it so effective is that characters feel very real. You can see like their actual struggles that they're going through, um, their problems. And you can see that they're, some of them are just trying to get home for the holidays. Some of them are just trying to deal with the problems with their family, with their friends, with their loved ones. Uh, and then they have this additional uh, nightmare thrust upon them. Um, so you really feel for them in, all these scenes where they're struggling against this uh, intruder. Yeah. you. I mean, it's hard not to when you know that they're, they're going through so much. I mean, by the time we're reaching sort of the end moments, I mean, it's no secret. You see Olivia Hussey on the cast, you know she's going to make it till at least towards the end. Yeah. When we're getting towards the climax and she's she's having to like deal with this like terrifying murder situation on top of what we know is going on in her personal life, uh, which is, you know, the pregnancy subplot and a boyfriend who uh, I think is really unhinged. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's hard not to feel for her. It's, I mean, we've gotten to know her and she's already going through so much. And then she has to deal with this uh, lunatic who she, I mean, we never even really see the lunatic. We just, uh, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Olivia Hussey's character, her pl plot is that uh, she's discovered she's pr pregnant and she wants to get an abortion. Uh, and when she discusses it with her boyfriend, who is a, uh, a music conservatory student who has like a big recital coming up, he's, um, he's pretty upset with her decision. He wants her not to get the abortion. He basically tells her she's not getting the abortion. They're getting married. He's very forceful and, uh, demanding. And, uh, she like refuses to go along with it. Uh, he, he has a pretty bad, uh, piano recital which is a very funny scene uh, it is a really funny scene <laughs> it it really it does a lot to lighten the mood and it's great the way it's done and that you can you hear him playing like this really off kilter sort of piece and you can see the frustration on his face yeah. and you can see just like the blank looks of the judges who are watching him and he has a complete meltdown following <laughs> yeah. it yeah he like smashes his piano after the recital uh he's clearly very upset so He's 
they definitely portray him as a very unhinged character, and that sort of goes into he's sort of a red herring, so to speak. Of, yeah, absolutely. You, you think like, oh, maybe this guy could be the killer. You know, they sort of set up a few different people along the way. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I don't know, it could be this person. Um, and I thought that was done pretty effectively. Yeah. Um, they definitely built him up to be sort of a violent, unhinged character. I would have believed it if he had been killing people. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and I mean, even in the end, they, he, his character becomes the scapegoat. I mean, so they, they set it up well, obviously, uh, because it's very believable that he would do that. Um, my favorite part about the whole recital thing is after the recital, he meets up with his girlfriend, or Olivia Hussey, and she's like, oh, how was the recital? And he's like, not fucking great. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, no, it really wasn't, was it? Yeah, great. Oh, man, the language in this movie is fantastic. They're, they just, like, swear so much. They have, like, incredibly sexual talk a lot of the time. Like, yeah. this is a very uh, graphic movie. Which is one of the things that makes it so awesome. You know, you have a cast of women in 1974. A lot of times women were expected to be a certain way, which was not swearing all the time, drinking all the time, and talking about sex. And they were. They're they're. They're going for it, which is awesome. You have the the house mother who hides bottles of like brandy in the toilet tank or whatever. Because <laughs> it's a dry house, I guess. Which is very confusing because uh, Margot Kidder is just like drunk the whole time. Yeah. Just like from start to finish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, her character was definitely a fan favorite in the screening I was in. Every time she would find a different bottle that she'd hidden around the house, whether it be in the, in the toilet tank or... Um, hidden in a hollowed out book <laughs> filed under B for booze yes B for booze so yeah. good people were laughing so hard at I don't that. understand why they she does have to hide it but I guess that's neither here nor there because I mean the girls are obviously drinking we I think she that. has to be the responsible one but so she, she just doesn't want to look like she's <laughs> as, as drunk as they are all the time I yeah guess. probably mm-hmm. that's fine I get it but um, yeah they like there's so much funny stuff in this movie in addition to being just terrifying. It it just has such a great mood to it overall. It's really so much fun to watch. Right. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so I guess um, in line with the casting and stuff like that, I have a lot of thoughts or would like to discuss just the way it does present the men in, in comparison to yeah. the women. You know, we've talked about um, the, the boyfriend character who's obviously not a good boyfriend. Right. But I think there's... In general, a lot of, I mean, for I mean, you have the killer. Obviously, he's not presented in a positive light. Um, but then you have the police as well. Who, I mean, there's one. I think really, I think we can agree one great cop. Obviously, right. Um, but you have the really like inappropriate and really incompetent sergeant who sits out at the desk the whole time and doesn't get anything. I mean, Margot Kidder tells him that her number is fellatio and he believes it. <laughs> She's like, it's the, the number is fellatio two, three, six, four. Oh, it's a new exchange. F E, yeah. <laughs> which is great. I, I don't think that joke works quite as well with uh, no longer having phone exchanges. But right. <laughs> it's right. Kind of funny. It doesn't, but it did at the time. And it, the, I mean, the joke still, I mean, it lands if yeah. you know how phones, I guess, worked back then. But um, so I guess I just think, and then you have um, the one character's father who comes into the house and spends a lot of time looking for, for his daughter, but he's not so never so much looking for his daughter as like constantly being like, well, I didn't send my daughter here to like have sex and get drunk, and right. it's 
should that really be your concern? <laughs> yeah, he seems awfully easily sidetracked by um, the goings on in the house. Like he sees some uh, lewd posters they have hanging up. He sees that like people are obviously drinking, and uh, he he uh, sort of speculates that she's been a bit promiscuous in her time at college. Uh, and he yeah, he's definitely sidetracked by all of her the possible ways that she's gone wrong, rather than being as much concerned with the fact that, hey, she's been missing for like a day now and um, something clearly isn't right. Right, right. And so I think that's a strange, a st- I mean, I think that's a, a, a good comparison just to the the house mother, who's a, another parental figure, but who may, for all of her flaws, does seem to fiercely care about those girls, right. you know? So I think that, and doesn't judge them for who they are. You know, she makes some snide comments when she's by herself, but who doesn't? I mean, um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, she's clearly not judging them for what they want to do as long as, you know, they're being themselves. And I think that it's a, a really good just juxtaposition of the two different approaches to these girls and how people treat women, I think, especially back then. Obviously, things are a little different now, though not totally, but mm-hmm. um, so... I just think that's an interesting... I think the movie definitely is skeptical of men as a whole. Right. Even our our good cop, I think the movie doesn't... Ultimately, I mean, he gets it wrong. He decides that the murderer was the boyfriend, and it wasn't. And we have been presented with evidence earlier in the the movie where it's like, it couldn't have been him. He was standing next to me when I got one of the calls. Yeah, yeah. And and, um, the girls pretty much tell him that. Um, He... Yeah, so there, there's the bad sergeant, and then he's, uh, I guess, like the lead detective trying to figure out um, what's going on. Who, uh, for those of you who don't know, stars in some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. He's the, he's uh, he one does. of the cops there. Yeah, he's in a few of them. He's in 1, 3, and New Nightmare. Yeah, he's he's very much a cop type. He's, um, he's trying to figure things out, and he's just not quite uh, up to speed with the killer. The killer's like always one step ahead. Right. And then there's uh, there's the guy at the telephone station, Bill Graham. Uh, he's nice, I think. He's he's competent. He, yeah. There's some great scenes with him running around this 1970s phone station trying to track down where the calls are coming from. Um, and, um, yeah, I thought that was pretty entertaining. Right. And, you know, yeah, he's – so those are the two, I would say, like, strongest examples of just, like, men who aren't, like, terrible – in this yeah. movie, I mean, you have the other cop in there who just laughs at everything. He doesn't seem to do any work. He just laughs anytime there's <laughs> anything going on in the station. Great, good, good cop over there. There um, are some ridiculous things that take place in that station. Like when the are. guy comes in having been shot uh, while looking around someone else's property, he's got a, an ass full of buckshot, basically. And they're like, <laughs> they're threatening to press charges. He's like, if he comes around again, I'll shoot him in the face. Oh. <laughs> That reminds me, though, of two of the other most memorable men in the movie, which are the, like, almost, like, wannabe hillbilly types who show up at the sorority house and say, we're with the search party. We're here to make sure that y'all are safe. And it's very clear that they are not with the search party. They just have their, like, hunting rifles, and they're out here to, like, do whatever. And the girls are like, no, you could go. <laughs> oh, that scene led to a great line as well when um, they – after after they leave and uh, the girls – the remaining girls who are there lock the door – like this is the only window or door that's locked in this house. <laughs> Everybody just went, "Oh!" in the theater I was in when that happened. It was like, "Oh my god!" 
<laughs> Idiots. To be fair, it ultimately did not matter. Yeah. <laughs> it did not matter, but yeah. <laughs> Um, because uh so we all know the calls are coming from inside the house yes all classic along. trope yeah um but, i mean this was the first one though right i think so yeah other than like the urban legend that Could, goes that way well because i think this precedes uh when a stranger calls definitely which is obviously the classic calls are coming from inside the house right. movie. so this probably would have been a lot more surprising back in the 1970s uh people well, definitely did sort of even if you i mean Maybe I'm coming from a place of having seen this a bunch of times. I think the movie doesn't really present that as a surprise to viewers, right? Because you know that this this killer's upstairs in the attic yeah. the whole time. Right. Yeah, it's it's not really a twist. It's a, like a surprise for the cops and for the remaining girls in the house, um, which is basically just Olivia Hussey at that point. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, and you don't really know, I guess, you don't see him making the calls, but you do know he's in the house. Right. So... He had to have been calling them for some there somehow, and there is sort of a throwaway line when they're setting up uh, the phone taps on the house so that they can figure out where the calls are coming from. They mentioned that the house mother has her own phone that's on a different line, mm-hmm. um, and that's not really that's just sort of brushed away quickly. But if you're paying attention, you can be like, oh, so maybe that's how he's making the calls, right? Um, but we know that he's in the house. It's like so. It's not right. like I mean, there's. Yes, we learned that he's making the calls from inside the house, but it's not surprising to us that he's been in the house the whole time. Exactly. I mean, we know that. We've yeah. seen it. Yeah, so it's um, it's definitely an old trope at this point. Yes. But, um, because pro- this was based on, like, the, the urban legend about, like, the babysitters with the killer in the house. Like, yeah. So, so, I mean, this came from that, which was the first one, whereas When a Stranger Calls, I guess, came later and used the same kind of trope, but I guess it's based on an urban legend, both of them. So I'm not going to fall when a stranger calls. It's still kind of iconic in its own way. Yeah. But way cheesier. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then there's the, so for the other men in the movie, there's the other boyfriend, the boyfriend of the first girl who goes missing. Yes. Now, uh, he seems fine. He seems all right. He uh, is first introduced wearing a hockey mask, yes. which I thought was kind of funny. Um, this was obviously before uh, Jason Voorhees. Yes. I mean, long the... before Jason Voorhees wore the hockey mask. That was like three movies deep. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But uh, it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, man, it's like another horror moment appearing like back in yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they just knew that ho- hockey masks are inherently terrifying. Yeah, I mean, it, it the, those old hockey masks are kind of creepy. They aren't like the the sort of cage that people wear over their face these days. Right. Also, also like a flat mask yeah, right over your face it has to be far less effective. Mm-hmm. Just saying, if <laughs> a puck hits that, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's, it's, you're still <laughs> getting hit. Like, well, they didn't like, used to wear masks at all. Like yeah. they <laughs> they clearly didn't care too much about their faces back in the day. Maybe hockey's just gotten more violent as the years have gone by. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Believable to me. Mm. Uh, yeah, but I mean, even the boyfriend, like, at a certain point, he seems to just, like, clock out of everything. He's, like, suddenly gone. He's not involved in the investigation anymore. He, You know, he's there for a bit, and he disappears. So I guess it just seems like the movie doesn't really treat them as, like, really being, like, the competent figures who are going to save the day in the end, which is so refreshing in a slasher, because normally you get that. You right. Know? So... And when they do finally show up to save the day, they get the murder wrong and leave her there in the house. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. So, yeah, uh, at the end, around the end of the movie, um, first of all, uh, Olivia Hussey's boyfriend comes back. Uh, he's clearly 
He's a bit unhinged, as he has been the entire movie. He smashes the window of the back door to get into the basement where she's hiding. Um, so it definitely sort of appears like he might be about to murder and her. In all fairness, this is directly after she's found out that the killer's been in the house the whole time. Right. Has seen her two friends with their throats slashed. Mm-hmm. You know, and seen... The ever creepy Billy's eye peeking through the doorway, which has got to be like one of the scariest moments in the entire movie when she looks up and he's just looking through the like the door and then slams the door into him. Yeah, that is so scary. (laughs) It's like (laughs) the moment she gets that call saying that the calls are coming from in the house and then has to like makes the choice to not leave. She oh, that's another thing. It's the stupid man who tells her that the calls are coming from inside the house after he's... Exp- it's that stupid sergeant who believes Felatio yep. is a phone number. It's told to call her and say, leave the house, but don't tell her that the calls are coming from in the house because we don't want her to freak out. What does he do? He calls her and says, the calls are coming from inside the house. Get out of the house. You idiot. <laughs> so, of course, she like completely panics. Great acting from Olivia Hussey, but she decides not to leave because she wants her friends to come with her. Right. Uh, which is a great moment. I think it, it says a lot about her character. It's a big F you to the idea that uh, people who want abortions don't care about the lives of others. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it uh, shows a lot of courage. And, and she gets to show off some great scared acting. And then is chased by Billy through the house. So when Billy disappears because she's gone into the basement and he can't get into the basement because she locks it. And the next thing she sees is her crazy boyfriend standing outside I would think the ro- the worst too. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's definitely uh, very much frightened of him. He breaks in. He's coming towards her. He's saying like, "What's wrong? What's wrong?" Um, and then we cut away, um, so you don't see what happens. But when the cops come back, um, he's dead. He's lying on top of her. She appears to be dead at first, but um, is sort of just in, like a catatonic state. Um, she opens her eyes and is like sort of wearily looking at them and they, you know, they sort of put her in a room in the house, <laughs> which is just crazy. They lie, lie her down in the bed. They give her some sedatives and then they sort of like leave her there. They, they think that the, the whole thing is wrapped up basically. Right. Oh, They're wrapped up. Good Christmas yeah. pun. <laughs> <laughs> They're carting the, the bodies off to the morgue. Um, and of course, Billy's still in the house. Well, so is dead girl number one and house mother. Yeah. The <laughs> two of the bodies are still in the attic. So I'm like, how did they not think to go look in the look attic? Look in the attic. There's Just bodies this... everywhere else. I mean, they have to know that that first girl is still missing. So they might not be concerned about the house mother. She said she was going to go back to home or whatever. But, like, that first girl is still missing. Why would you not search the whole house before leaving somebody there? <laughs> also, why would you not take the traumatized girl to the hospital? Yeah. I know we found out in 2006 that taking her to the hospital after this doesn't always end the whole <laughs> night. But, um... <laughs> oh, we'll get to that in a minute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah. Uh, so, they just sort of leave her there. And then I think we just sort of go out to, like, an establishing shot of the house um, you see the snow coming down, you see the lights and everything, then the credits just start to roll. So it's left sort of ambiguous as to what happens. But I think, you know, you pretty much know. Billy's- he's he's going to kill again. Yeah. Maybe it's not going to be her because she might wake up and leave the house before he decides right. to strike again. But he's going to murder somebody again. The next people who come into that house, if anyone does. I feel like at this point, maybe they won't. <laughs> but um, you never know. Next, The next sorority class is going to be in for some rough times. Yeah. The definitely. first time somebody's like, oh, we need an extra bedroom. Use the base. Or use the <laughs> attic. No. 
dead body. Well, hopefully they'll start smelling it before then, and then they will search. Oh God, yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. The one one other thing I wanted to focus on in this movie was like the way the killer is portrayed, uh, specifically how he's shown. Um, which basically not a lot of him is shown. No. Which I think is very effective. Um, you hear his voice on the phone, obviously. A lot. is probably the most strong, the strongest way he's characterized. Uh, it's absolutely insane. It's uh, at some point screeching, at other points low and menacing. Um, but I thought that was definitely the most... Um, frightening moments of the movie was when he was talking on the phone. Um, also you see like sort of his eyes peeking around doors, um, or out of closets, just like in the dark. Um, there's a lot of POV shots as well. One uh, of the shot- coolest things about, about the movie is right. the POV from the killer's perspective. Yeah. You get a lot of, uh, a lot of the movies shown from his perspective during times where, um, you can see him either watching the girls or stalking around the attic, um, like looking at the dead bodies, and you can you can sort of get an idea of what his obsessions are through those moments. Um, so yeah, that was also <laughs> very creepy and pretty original for its time. You know, like they had to film that with handheld cameras yeah. in nineteen seventy seven, I think. Four yeah, seventy four. The movie wow. is seventy four. Because yeah. Halloween was four years later. Right. Yeah. So very um very unique for its time. You basically never see a full body shot of him never. or see his face at all. No. And you just see the eye. That's it. Yeah. And it's it's incredibly effective. Um there's definitely been plenty of other movies that have this strategy of barely showing the killer. Um, but yeah, it's, it's incredibly frightening. This is one of the first examples of it though. And not yeah. t- never it, it not only does it, it like keeps him physically in darkness. It like, it never explains what he's really up to, why he's doing this, what he's after. You know, it's like completely like they just shroud him completely in mystery other than his eyeball the whole yeah. time. Um, it's insanely effective to just leave him so so mysterious the whole time because it's terrifying. You're like, that could be anyone. Yeah, it's just sort of this faceless menace lurking in the shadows. Uh, and yeah, it's it's basically the whatever your mind can come up with as the scariest uh, villain hiding in the darkness, that's who it is. But I will tell you, 2006 Black Christmas did it better than anything your mind can come up with. <laughs> well, my mind could never have come up with that. I'll tell you You're that. You're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, obviously lots of movies, like you said, have done it, but this was one of the earliest examples of it and it works like really, really well. I mean, slashers didn't do that really much I guess out out of the gate even soon after that because you know you think Halloween was the next big slasher that really sparked the fire and it I mean you see Michael Myers all the time yeah so yeah that's true I mean Michael Myers is effective and scary in his own way um, the mask definitely helps him you don't right. get to see his emotions he is sort of like a faceless horror even though you see him you just see like this this body right <laughs> shrouded in a overalls and uh, coveralls right and uh, and you don't learn a lot about him about right. michael myers so there, there's a lot of like 
I mean, it did start Black Christmas and Halloween both did start that trend of we don't we regularly don't learn a lot about our killers. The idea that we get a ton of backstory is actually like a 2000s era horror thing. Yeah, that's really started, um, I guess, sort of in the 90s. But that was like a snarkier backstory. I'm talking like Scream and stuff like that. You know, that's a little different. Um, So I'm talking like the idea that we need to intellectually analyze our serial killers in these slashers. Uh, that was a two thousands era thing that we get. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah. So, I mean, something like Friday the 13th, I think took some of its cues from black Christmas, not physically showing its killer for most of its runtime, but then in the end they still do. You see Mrs. Voorhees, you know, it's her, you know what she looks like. Yeah. That, that first Friday the 13th movie in particular definitely, uh, draws a bit on this sort of trope. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, you see from the the killer's perspective, I think a little bit in that one too. I think uh, so. Yeah. Just because it's easier, easier <laughs> if you're not going to show them to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it would be kind of hard to, um, keep the reveal in Friday the 13th, uh, secret if they showed much of the killer early right. on, which is another great reveal though in horror history is yeah. the, the reveal in Friday the 13th. So, um, so yeah, um, I guess we can get into, what the 2000s look of black christmas is like then it's just such a different it's it's almost you really you can compare them and i think there's a lot of dialogue between them i think the the sequel the remake is actively engaging with the first one whether or not it's effective is a different story but it is such a different monster it is like not the same movie so first of all um I I saw this originally in theaters back in 2006. Wow, I did not. (laughs) I saw this after theaters. Quite a while ago. Um, So needless to say, I didn't remember it much. This is probably one of the first horror movies I ever saw in theaters. Um, Do you remember the first one you saw? Like the first one? uh, I guess if you count... like sci-fi, maybe I, I saw. I mean, if it's sci-fi horror, I saw it came from outer space wow. back when I was like eight years old or something. Okay. But um, I I can't remember seeing a proper horror movie um, before this one. Okay. I think yeah, two thousand six. I would have been eighteen, I guess. Um, but oh wow, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm old, man. <laughs> I forget that you're older than me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so this is probably the first horror movie I saw in theaters. Um, yeah. Looking back on it, I did not remember it being this crazy. I just sort of saw it as, you know, what, what you expect from horror movies. And I'd certainly seen horror movies before this on TV. And sure, like yeah, this. yeah. So this sort of just blended in with most of the other ones that I had seen. Um, having seen it again last night, this movie is crazy. It's completely <laughs> nuts. <laughs> I also did not remember. I saw the movie when it came out on like home release, which at that time took almost a full year, I swear. Now right. it's like still in theaters and you're getting the Blu-ray. But yeah. um, there, I saw it on home release and I do not remember any of this. Like <laughs> I was like, this movie is insane. It's completely like off the wall, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, so basically what I remembered is... Um, it's got the same basic premise. It's a sorority house at Christmas, and there's a killer on the loose uh, hiding in the house somewhere, usually in the attic. Um, and his name's Billy, and he's got some sort of uh, creepy backstory with his family. Which we'll get into. Yeah, <laughs> which we'll get into. And which is, I think, somewhat hinted at in the original, but so much more like low-key and Absolutely. open to interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, adding to that, uh, 
this movie is so much more invested in the whole Christmas thing than, first of all, than I remember, but also than the original movie is. So the original one, you know, it takes place at Christmas. It's sort of used to set the mood. Uh, it's used as an explanation for why most of the girls have gone for the holidays, for why um, some of them are trying to leave, why there's not so many people on campus. But other than that, like there isn't really that much focus on the fact that it's Christmas. In this movie, everything is about Christmas. The the main score of this film is just the Nutcracker Suite. Yeah. Like <laughs> they use pretty much every song from the Nutcracker. They use a whole bunch of other like holiday classics. It's in like different times. It's I think it's because so. I think one of the the things that it's trying to do maybe is, you know, in the original Black Christmas, you see a lot of scenes where they walk around and you just hear that like really somber music that they play. And in this one, they'll be walking around and you hear this like, just like the dance of the sugar plum fairy while they're walking (laughs) around scared. And it's like, what? I think it's trying to like riff on like the way they would like the the original in that way. Because, you know, the original did use a lot of scoring, just a very different kind of scoring uh and this one they're like no let's do that but christmas it up yeah what why and also why the nutcracker i have a lot of questions about why it has to be the nutcracker (laughs) probably because it's public domain that would be my first guess yes this is also 2006 so virtually everybody has a christmas ringtone which drives me insane (laughs) oh my god and everybody has a different christmas ringtone too it's like they all got together it's like okay so i'm gonna do a holy night you do away in a manger and like uh, okay what oh oh, all the good ones are gone what do i have to do uh king wenceslas (laughs) (laughs) and it's like it's so funny because like Katie Cassidy's over here on like a on a, a, a razor cell phone getting the Carol of the Bells ringing every time. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? I mean, it's such a time capsule and it's totally real too. I don't know if you had a phone in 06. Um, yeah. I did have a phone in 06 and everybody did have individual ringtones that were real songs. And, you know, it was that little like 8-bit tune to it. So it was like, do, 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 do. Like, <laughs> okay, we get it. Um, <laughs> you have a cell phone. Yeah. And yeah. everybody would keep their ringers on loud intentionally because they wanted everyone to hear them. It's all very real, at yeah. least, I will say. Yeah. Jeez. Nowadays, when you hear people's ringtones, it's usually... The default ringtone. And everybody's like mad that they're hearing it. They're like, what are you doing? Put it on vibrate. Oh, well, I'm, I'm still mad if you hear it. But yeah. Oh, yeah, that's I, what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm extra mad if I hear the default ringtone. So I'm like, come on, if you're going to play me a ringtone, at least make something good. My ringtone's pretty good. It's <laughs> it's an 80s take on the Game of Thrones theme. So. Oh, man. Nice. <laughs> nice one. Um, so, yeah, they definitely go all in on the Christmas. There's... People obviously get stabbed with sharpened candy canes in this movie they because sure do. why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? There's a there's a an insane asylum breakout because this isn't just like a horror movie. This is a horror movie in 2006. So somebody's locked in an insane asylum and gets get breaks out. Yeah. Um. So they pretty much stole that directly from Halloween. Yes. Um. But yeah, we we sort of get like a the scene in the insane asylum where we see billy locked away Mm -hmm. um he's obviously very obsessed with christmas for some mm, reason is that billy (laughs) so i had a lot of trouble (laughs) keeping billy and killer number two straight we'll we'll just call him billy and the kids billy and the kid (laughs) um but yeah so uh uh a slight aside here i was 
like half fallen asleep when I was watching this last night. Oh yes, which you are. So, sort of added to the fever dream quality of the whole thing. But yeah, I there are two killers in this movie. I think that it's Billy in the asylum, but the reason I I ask is because I I think they refer to the the person in the in the prison as Billy over and over, but I I feel like you never see enough of them, and I feel like they have long hair when you see them in the prison. Yeah. And Billy at the end does not have long hair. Does Billy get a haircut? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think he's going to the uh, barber looking like he does. Yeah, so I, I think it's Billy who is in the asylum. Um, and I believe it, you're right. Yeah, and it's set in it's set in 2006, right? Yeah, it's, it's like contemporary. It's modern day. With the... um, they, and so his backstory in this one is he... Uh, he killed his parents on Christmas Eve. Um, he was found. Well, you have to know why he killed his parents, right? Uh, so they they well they they at first they tell us like he killed his parents and he killed his whole family on Christmas Eve. Yes, is what they say, which is a very Michael Myers kind of backstory. Yes, and then we gradually shown through flashbacks later in the movie um, that he was like. He was severely abused as a child. Yes, because he was born with jaundice. Yeah. I just, I don't understand why that's like, the mom like goes nuts from the moment he's born. He was born with jaundice and like, so he has the yellow skin, but the yellow skin is so severe. It is insanely yellow and his eye is like, something has gone terribly awry in his eye. Yeah, he's got like some creepy-ish looking red eyes. Yeah. Which yeah, the killer's eyes are kind of creepy in the original, but this is like a but it's like a natural eye though. Yeah, yeah. Um, this never feels natural. Maybe that's just because it's surrounded by the jaundice. Yeah. But like, so his Billy's mom hates him from the outset. <laughs> she takes that ornament and like shatters it over his like crib. <laughs> some, like yeah, it's a very Christmassy yeah. form of abuse. And so, but his dad is, I guess, like. A nice guy, except won't take him away from his mom for some reason. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll give you. I got a present for you, Billy. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you when she's not looking or something." Yeah. And um, so she kills the dad. Well, she so Mm -hmm. Billy watches as her mom brings a man over, and the the husband's like. The, the Billy's actual dad is like, oh, this is your boyfriend now? And the mom's like, it's going to be my husband. And then the boyfriend kills the husband. Uh, yeah. So Billy watches this happen. And with a plastic bag over his head, which yes. uh, is important, is, is from the original and right. was definitely used quite a bit in yes. this movie. Yes, there's a lot of just like anytime they need to grab someone, they just the killer will just wrap a plastic bag around their head and jerk <laughs> them backwards. Yeah, unclear where they get all the plastic bags. <laughs> they go to that like one drawer everyone has in their kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go to the bag drawer. Man, we're running low on bags. Finally, someone go to Target. <laughs> but yeah, so that happens, and then Billy, I guess, is hiding for in the attic forever. I don't really know what's going on. He because... gets locked in the attic for like most of his childhood. Yes, and then Billy, Billy's mom sees Billy or something like that. Oh, because Billy's mom is trying to have sex with her husband, but her husband falls asleep while having sex on a stairwell, yeah, which the, is all very normal. The new husband, the the boyfriend who yes. became the husband. Yes. As predicted. Right. And she then goes upstairs and sees Billy in the rocking chair and just takes off her clothes for him? Yeah. So uh, it's a 
you know, an implied incestual rape scene there. Yes. Uh, definitely not in the original. No. And uh, it's it's done just, like, so grossly. Like, he's sitting in the rocking chair, and, like, she walks in front of him, in front of the camera, and you just see her nightgown drop. And yes. it's like, uh. <laughs> it's so disturbing. And next thing you know, there's a little baby in the house. Yeah. And that turns out to be Billy's sister and daughter yeah agnes agnes who uh, agnes so the the names billy and agnes do come from the original also you would hear him talk about agnes from time to time yes uh, and billy you pres- presumably that's himself though yeah <laughs> yeah and so agnes was clearly like a family member who he had some sort of obsession with in the original but that was like that was it you sort of you were left to speculate yeah. can i ask what you took away from the original what you what you have like imagined is the backstory there like prior to black christmas 2006 tainting your idea so i i thought that there was a possibility that there was some sort of incest involved in well but it, i thought that agnes might have been the sister and that they'd had some sort of thing going on and i had the same parents impression. had had like Tried to separate them, tried and separate. then he'd gone like crazy and yeah. like killed killed Agnes or something right. like that. Something yeah. like that. So yeah. like it's obviously it, there's very little to go on, but there's clearly some sort of issue with family, um, which gets at the heart of the, the movie is about family. Yeah, two thousand six really drums that one up. Um, <laughs> it's a family movie. It's a family movie, but even the original is about sisterhood. Yeah. So right. Um, so yeah, that's basically Billy's backstory in the new movie as it's revealed gradually. Um, and yeah, he breaks out of the, uh, insane asylum by, wait, is that the scene? He stabs someone with a sharpened candy cane. Yes. He stabs licking the, gradually that, um, that, that security guard who made a big show of like never trusting Billy and never and like being like in the know on how Billy operates and then immediately gets stabbed with a sharpened candy cane. Uh, yeah. Never trust Billy except do walk into his cell where he suddenly disappeared and then walk to the very fake-looking hole in the wall and bend over looking at it, all the while not paying attention to the bed right behind you where he's hiding underneath it. What an idiot. Um, speaking of incompetent men. Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. Billy proceeds to break out, kills a guy dressed as Santa Claus. Yep. Um, Christmas! <laughs> takes the Santa Claus outfit to get out of the hospital, but then discards the Santa Claus outfit along with the garbage bag that contains the dead man, who we only see his arm at this point. Um, it's something very brutal has happened to that man, though. Oh, yeah. And I feel very bad for him, I think. Um, but he might have been terrible. I can't remember. Because um, I feel like this was 2006. Most characters in movies were just like, I was like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> um, so, Billy. And while this is happening, though, we are starting to get the first like calls at the sorority house. And the first deaths are happening there. So there's a lot of like, at least for me when I was watching it last night, a lot of weird moments where I was like, wait, hold on. Billy's in the hospital. Why is there death happening at the at the house? Right. Which sets, yeah. I mean, it sets up a lot of like, like basically red herrings. You've got another bad boyfriend in the mix. Um, final girl, Katie Cassidy, has a bad boyfriend who slept yeah. with, took videos of himself sleeping with women and they're on the internet. I don't really understand that subplot. <laughs> Um, but it's extremely 2006 once again. 
and you've got the sorority sister who I don't even understand why she's in the sorority, but she is clearly meant to just be creepy and make us think that she's the killer briefly. Oh my God. Yes. Eve, I think was her name. Um, Christmas Eve. Oh yes. <laughs> didn't even think about that. That was obviously a red herring. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's obviously setting up for that. It turns out that it's the the incest daughter sister Agnes after it. Although I really thought Billy ate her eyeball in the one scene, so I was confused. Yeah, he does like um, blind her in one of the flashbacks. Right, he eats her eyeball, and then I guess that's why he's taking doll eyes to give to her. <laughs> so that makes sense. Right. Yeah, he has some sort of obsession with eyes here. Whoa, I'm about to I'm about to have a whole thing. I need to write a thesis statement. I think Billy's MO is you need to change your your vision. You need to change your gaze. We're not 1974 <laughs> anymore. This is 2006. Don't right. expect the same things. Get rid of um, the gaze. Um, <laughs> oh no, that's a whole other <laughs> no, sentence. No, stop. <laughs> Leave the gaze. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah. I, I guess there was a lot of eyes in the original movie there too. So in the they, original, but the you only, see his eyes. You see his eye all the time in the original. So the movie takes that, and not only do you see a lot of just like light, like you see their eye very vividly, but also you see their whole body because you have to see the jaundice in full effect, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is just stunning. It yeah. really is. Um, oh, like this reminded me of uh, Sin City, the yellow bastard oh, character. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, he, where he's just like super yellow. Yes. And it came out the same year. It did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, similar to Sin City, although this is not on the same quality as Sin City in any way, this is a heavily stylized film. This was like an era oh, where yeah. like heavy stylized film was like about to like be like a big thing for a little while again. Right. Um, and this one was not necessarily doing the best because horror for a while was you know you had the scream era and then you had like the weird like late 90s and early 2000s where everything was kind of like taking itself seriously at the same time and like so this was an example of one that i think was bridging a gap before everybody was going to start being a little like over the top indulgent again um luckily it's still really fun it just doesn't always balance that tone well enough um yeah but anyway the eye thing is bizarre. I mean, it's all over this movie. Billy and Agnes... I mean, I guess it's Agnes doing most of the eye ripping that we see. Um, yeah. She's she's looking for eyes. I don't she's, think yeah, she's on the look. Anyone told her that she can't just put those eyes back into her face. And make but. them work. Well, <laughs> Billy eats them, so who cares? At any point, they need eyes. Um, I bet it, they're literally eyes are everywhere. People are getting their eyes ripped out. You're seeing like... I don't know, like somebody gets that thing thrown through the back of their head so the eye comes out the other side at one point. Like, <laughs> I I don't know what's going on. Yeah, the kills. So we already talked about the fact that the kills in the last movie were kind of gruesome. Um, this one is, they're just over the top, insane. They're meant to be, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have, so, okay, so the one returning cast member from the original here is uh, Andrea Martin, who now plays the house mother. After right. in the original, she played the character Phyllis, who was just one of the sorority girls, one of the longer lasting ones, yeah. um, and pretty memorable, I thought. Um, yeah, just sort of like a like the uh, she would have been like the nerdy one in the group, basically. right? Yeah, yeah, because she has glasses, obviously. Um, <laughs> so um, I kind of actually thought she would have been like the like radical feminist, like like out on the front lines of like uh-huh. fighting against like Vietnam or whatever. But like, yeah, um, <laughs> like. Um, she um she's back and she's the house mother and she dies by 
an icicle falling and just impaling her through the head, which is ridiculous. <laughs> that, the icicle's going to break. Yeah. You saw the icicle melting earlier. It's not that strong. Yeah. Like, it's just one of like those Christmas urban legends or something they yes. tried to work in here. Right. <laughs> um, so there are definitely some ridiculous deaths. Another favorite is Michelle Trachtenberg, who's in this movie, who is fresh off of Ice Princess. And I think this is a reference. I maintain <laughs> fresh off of Ice Princess, Michelle Trachtenberg does Black Christmas and her death is the killer throwing a pair of ice skates at the back of her head. Like, yeah. what? And it, like chops the top of her head off. Yeah. It's like so <laughs> ridiculous. Like, I'm pretty sure nobody's got ice skates sharp enough to slice through a human skull in one go i will say this is one of my greatest fears of ice skating i have a deep fear of falling and somebody riding over my fingers i mean that that can happen i know yeah. so this really does not make me want to go ice skating this season yeah. so oh, yeah. uh not going ice skating in new york when i get back um Oof. yeah but <laughs> so yeah i mean it follows the same basic plot at that point like we've obviously gone over the uh the changed backstory or the more expounded backstory um yeah there, there's a lot of kills in the sorority house yes very similar to the original one they're trying to find out where the killer is yes there's all the there's phone calls just like the in the but original. only like a couple right it's yeah. far fewer and they've got to be from agnes well because billy's still in the asylum when they happen they're early Aren't there some later there ones? There are some later ones, too, but they don't really say as much, right? They, well, because one of them is just always like, after someone gets killed, there's always a phone call, yes. and it goes, she's my family now. Oh, yeah, that's a big refrain of the movie, that, is that, she's my family now. Yeah, so like that's that's most of what the calls are, though, is like they're just like sort of menacing statements. They're not like the long, drawn-out, like super crazy, creepy right. things. Right, so like they what are made the, the original... Movie calls so creepy was that you couldn't make heads or tails of them no matter what you did yeah. it was like i don't know what's going on like there seems to be some some past trauma that this person is clearly not worked through at all but at the same time there's like the weird like sexual undercurrent to it all like where he's like talking about like pretty pink cunt or whatever in the original mm -hmm. and this one it's like you can more or less understand what's happening in every single call it, it's like somebody just actively trying to disturb somebody the original cause feels like somebody who's just unhinged and doesn't even know what they're doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the first one he comes across is just an absolute maniac. The second one, he comes off as like someone who's trying to intimidate them. It feels like you're watching like the Hills have eyes family, like set in Christmas time, like making phone calls. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that the basic part of that movie is, the same though where it really gets kind of different is the ending um sure does <laughs> where they like, also the complete lack of the cop subplot oh there yeah there's no cop yeah they're not there's no cops going around trying to track down the source of the calls like they were in the original i guess they figured that if they went with that whole the calls are coming from inside the house thing it would be a little too cliche well, to when a stranger point. calls was remade at the same around the same time right. starring katie cassidy she was in it <laughs> she was like the the like the like best friend who partied all the time yeah, if she, you remember that remake she was like i will get my calls are coming from inside the house moment yeah so, <laughs> she was like it's my turn it's me <laughs> this is my time you gave it to camilla bell last time it's me now <laughs> I don't even know. It, when a stranger calls, I don't remember if it was before or after, technically. But um, it was definitely, like, same time frame. I think we're going to have to do a follow-up episode now where we watch both, the, both the, when both a stranger calls. Stranger yes, calls. we yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> this is Love be that our already. Companion episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, this time, they do take her to the hospital, right? Yes. Finally, so they, the last girl. Yes. So, 
there's a whole thing because you have this like thing where they're fighting in the attic, which you see a bunch of eyeballs dangling from like Christmas lights or whatever. And I'm, <laughs> they you know that thing. They fight in the walls of the house where Billy is like coming from from above and Agnes is coming from below. Although I love when Agnes has fallen down into the wall and they look down and Agnes can't get up. She's just like, <laughs> oh yeah. There's a scene where she falls like like they're in the attic and she falls like in between the wall and like the exterior wall yes. somehow. And she's it's between like, the walls of two rooms because remember, well, that's an important plot point of Katie Cassidy getting out is somebody breaks through. Right. Um, but yeah, she falls down the wall and can't get up for some reason it's like she's like just like laying on her back and she it's not doesn't seem like she's injured can't get up she's just like acting like she's like trapped or something it's like you can stand what's going on here like you're just like reaching upward i don't know what's happening agnes are you okay agnes has had a rough go her brother ate her eyeball but like also her dad ate her eyeball depending on (laughs) her brother father um which is a great moment in the movie also right in the attic scene where katie cassidy's like Agnes, your brother isn't here. He's not going to save you now or whatever. And she goes, no, but my dad's here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, it's Billy. Billy climbs out from above the attic, wherever that is. I don't really understand. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Oh, that was so good. Um, So they take her to the hospital. Yes, though. That's important. Um, because we are now in the era where everybody has to go to the hospital and we have to get the final hospital showdown um, by 2006. Um, one of my least favorite horror tropes. Just going to put that out there. Too I hate pe- it. Too many people have seen Halloween 2. Yeah, <laughs> Halloween 2. And like you get it all the time. Like When a Stranger Calls, Scream 4 did it. Like I mean, Scream 4 comes much later, obviously. But like we get it. You go to the hospital and the killer's still out there. Like <laughs> There's, You're not even safe in the hospital. Yeah. So um, ridiculous. So she goes to the hospital and... I don't, there's this weird moment where like they're in the hospital, you know, I guess that Agnes and Billy aren't dead by this point because you see them like in the house still or whatever. I don't really under, oh no, because we have to see that scene with the guy performing the autopsy who is drinking spiked eggnog from (laughs) like, from. He's drinking his spiked eggnog from a beaker in the morgue. Like, and he's just like, and he hears something moving in the body bag. And instead of like doing what I would definitely do and getting the F out of that morgue, he's like, oh, let me go investigate. (laughs) Of course, it's Billy and Agnes who are both still alive. Okay. Um, Unclear how they burned, come back, are unburnt by all visual markers and are killing again. So stupid it's not stupid katie cassidy is lying in bed and then the like candy stripe or whatever comes in it's like well we need some x-rays and the the person the x-ray tech tech is leaving and they won't be here tomorrow so you have to come right now which is like first of all ridiculous <laughs> no way it's like two in the morning why are they leaving it's not shift change time like <laughs> what are you talking about like <laughs> we only have one x-ray tech in this entire that, hospital i'm just saying that that candy striper in on it totally like agnes's like best friend from the orphanage or right. something like <laughs> Um, like, I don't know. So anyway, they take Katie Cassidy away. So the, the older sister of one of the sorority sisters is still in there and she's just hanging out. And, um, while she's hanging out, the, uh, killer comes back on down from the roof. (laughs) and It's, it's Agnes coming on in and she starts murdering again. Basically, she takes out the the older sister, and that's that. 
it's really um bizarre. I don't know how they got there so quickly. I don't know how far away the hospital is, but here we are. So Katie Cassidy comes back and right. she's like, I guess has realized that this x-ray thing and like every something's not adding up to her. I, I'm not really sure how she gets from point A to point B, but she goes back to her room and the, the candy striper makes a comment like, oh, someday they'll fix the lock on this door and then walks out, <laughs> which is just like, first of all, a hilarious callback to the first movie where the house mother's like, I've been telling them to fix the lock on the front door of this house for ages right, and it yeah. won't lock. They have to lock it from the outside in the original. Bizarre. Um, so Katie Cassidy's like, oh, no, she realizes she can't open the door and then realizes that her friend is missing. So she's like, oh, crap, something is up. And she looks up and blood is just filling the fluorescent light bulb or whatever up there. <laughs> uh, and then it's all all from there. Yeah. Um, and the Billy's death, I guess it is, is the, the craziest, I think, in this yes. whole movie. Um, he basically gets impaled on a Christmas tree. Yes. <laughs> he gets dropped from like the top level of some of a stairwell and the the top of the christmas tree just goes right through him. Yeah. And that's uh that's sort of our end credit scene there. Uh, a very different way to end the movie from uh from the original, which yeah. was just sort of a mood a moody shot of the outside of the Right, with house. a lot of ambiguity. Right. And this one we have physically seen Agnes get you know, shocked by the defibrillator to the head at the highest voltage. And we have seen Billy get impaled on a Christmas tree. So we know they're not coming back. <laughs> uh, which also reminds me, you saw this in theaters. Was this in 3D? I don't think, no, no, it wasn't. Okay, Because uh, a lot of the kills are like really, fra it's like staged. Like you see like when he falls into the tree, it looks like it's like shooting upward. And like, there's that part where the thing, the eyeball comes out and it comes like straight out towards like, it's yeah. a very strange. I think this was just before um, the like the advent of the 3D movies. Right. You um, mean the the re advent? Yeah. The 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 real D generation. The real 3D. D generation. Yeah. Because um, yeah, I the rem I remember the first 3D movie I saw was uh, that remake the not a remake the the Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh movie. my god! Was that Brendan like, Fraser? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a couple years later. Yes, um, but yeah, it does seem like the sort of movie that should be in three. The way it was done, it felt like it a lot of the time. Um, I think it was just trying to make it like scary to the audience by having like things come at you, yeah, like sharp objects. It's a very eighties vibe to do that. It yeah. feels very much like some sort of early early entry into the Friday the Thirteenth saga. Um, but yeah, the ending is totally different here. Totally destroying the ambiguity and like the like weird melancholy of the the ending at the on the first one in favor of just like brutal violence and ridiculousness. <laughs> um, on the plus side, you get to see Katie Cassidy kill her demons that night. She really like does it. She she takes up. She is strong. Yeah, <laughs> she's had a rough night. Her boyfriend cheated on her and filmed it and put it on the internet or whatever. Um, and also all of her friends got murdered and also she killed the murderers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite an eventful, uh, way to lead into Christmas break for them. Yeah. yeah she'll probably never celebrate Christmas the same way again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the like 40 year rematch between Katie Cassidy and Billy and the kid. <laughs> I want the kid back. Billy and the kid. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So 
Yeah, definitely a very different tone overall. It sort of feels like somebody watched the original and then had like this sort of horrifying fever dream about it. It does feel like a horrifying fever dream the whole time. I mean, even the way it's shot, there's a lot of like weird, like they'll walk through the hallway and it's off kilter and the lights are like slowly strobing in different colors and you're hearing like whatever waltz number 867 <laughs> from the stupid Tchaikovsky. Um I don't know. It's, I'm not going to get over the Nutcracker thing. I want to know <laughs> what the connection is. I want to know why we chose the Nutcracker. There's got to be a reason. I don't know. Um, if they went all in on that eyeball motif, I mean, that is like straight up a motif. That's not just like a little like hokey thing. They they established a motif. They carried it through. I don't know if it meant anything. but Yeah, I know. They definitely love the eyeballs in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just saying the the music must have meant something to them. I don't know. It just felt like the whole movie was was extremely tongue in cheek, you know. It was it it didn't take itself too seriously. Yeah, no, it definitely had more of a humorous bent to it at yeah. times, which is, I guess, sort of a mid two thousands horror movie thing. Yeah, uh, definitely seen some other remakes with this sort of vibe to them. I mean, um, we could do a whole series just on remakes of the two thousands. Oh That's yeah. Like a, they were they were such a weird breed. I know most people think they were just like boring and gross, but like they're all so bizarre. They had like, their own things going. Yeah, <laughs> some strange reality they lived in. Yeah. I would love to do my bloody Valentine one and then the remake. Oh boy, yeah, <laughs> or, or or the crazies. Yes, <laughs> the we did. We just need to do holidays horror movies and their remake. Obviously, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, oh, the crazies was yeah. That would be an interesting one very interesting <laughs> Oof. Um, but yeah so it was i don't know i i thought that the tone nece didn't necessarily work for it much of its runtime it definitely didn't know what it was doing sometimes with it it was like we think we're funny but also we want to scare you but also we're not really sure how to do both at the same time uh you could have looked back about 10 years screamed at it pretty perfectly um, right. <laughs> yeah so um but they you know it's still, for what it's worth, it's a fun movie. I think the cast is really fun. They yeah. they have a great time. Um, yeah, uh, it's amazing that like once again. So the original had a pretty great cast for its time it too. Did, yeah, you know, Olivia Hussey, Margot Kidder. Yep. Um, and uh, God, who was uh, Kier D'Elia was in that one too. Yep. Uh, yeah, and this one has uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, Katie Cassidy, um, Katie Cassidy. Yeah, and it it has uh, Lacey. I don't even know. Do you say Chabert? Do you say Schaubert? Chabert. Whoever um, was Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> Gretchen Wieners. <laughs> um, you have the returning uh, Andrea Martin is back for it. You know, that's pretty mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah. Um, you have one of the, the cast members of Final Destination 3 and a cast member of Final Destination 1, which <laughs> the director wrote, I would like to say. The director of Black Christmas wrote those Final Destination movies. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow got the cast to return. This is a great Final Destination connection here. Yeah. Um. Oh, and you were telling me earlier, he also directed, the guy who directed this only directed one other movie. And it is Willard, 2003's rat horror movie, <laughs> which I hope we've all seen. I know I know my co-host over here okay. has not, and I'm offended. I need to go back and see this after seeing this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bonkers, just because the premise is ridiculous. If you mm -hmm. haven't seen haven't seen willard it is about a guy who befriends a bunch of rats and they like basically like will do his bidding for him um and that includes some murder uh it's truly bizarre sounds great yeah, yeah it's a fun one 
Yeah, so I I don't know. I I thought it was pretty fun overall for as far as remakes go. You know, it definitely is not anywhere near as terrifying. No, as but the first one, but as, it has its own thing going on. As being one of the like, one of the first and the the massive wave of remakes we got. Right. Because this was pretty early in them. I'm pretty sure. Right. I mean, I can't think of many that came before it. Um, this was really early in that and it had so much fun with itself it's so much different than the other remakes we get like that nightmare on elm street one that was like so self-serious and so boring oh yeah uh like how on earth can you make a serious nightmare on elm street remake yeah the original wasn't even serious right so i mean or like better than that friday the 13th one which basically did the first movie in the opening prologue and then just had a bunch of teens getting high and dying (laughs) um get high and die yeah so you know uh at least it it like really had a blast with itself and was just trying to give everyone a, a good time it does boast the tagline, uh, this Christmas, this holiday season, the sleigh ride begins. <laughs> sleigh spelled S-L-A-Y, of course. Of course. Which le- leads me to think of Santa's sleigh, <laughs> my favorite holiday movie. It's also just funny because now in 2018, almost 2019, sleigh has such a different meaning to me. Like <laughs> <laughs> The sleigh ride. Um, so Santa just, sleigh. <laughs> that just sounds like a really terrible porn. Um <laughs> It's out there. I swear. It's going to be out there somewhere. There's a Santa game don't Google out there that. already. You know what's out there. I don't. You don't have to look it up. You just know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It. I don't know. I thought for what it's worth, it was a fun one. It didn't like, by trying to be so different from the original, it doesn't like taint anyone's view of the original. You're not going to see it and be like, oh, I can never see this, the original the same way again. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of liked it for that, that it, I feel like it sort of realized it wasn't going to improve on the original, so it just decided to take its own path. And while I think it probably didn't make as good a movie as the original, it at least created something different, which I, was always I a good think thing. we can safely say it's not as good a movie as the original. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm biased. The original is my favorite horror movie, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like this is definitely not even close. Yeah, uh, but it's fun. And I do hate it for being a part of that wave of like, we need to find our slashers and we need to background the F out of them. Like we need to give them so much backstory. Right. You yeah. know, because you watched Rob Zombie's Halloween remake, which I love. I'm a big supporter of, but I really don't, I, we don't need a backstory all the time. We don't need that, you know? Um, yeah. Like, and then like the Leatherface did it. If you recall all the wave of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes and sequels, no. there was one where they tried to make Leatherface like relatable. And I was like, no, he wears people's faces. <laughs> He's the least relatable villain. He's <laughs> not relatable. Don't do it. Don't, like we just don't need to like make us sympathetic to our killers every right. single time. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are just gonna be evil that's fine with me yeah and that's what makes villains like billy from the original and michael myers scary is that they're like just sort of like a faceless psychopath yeah someone you can't relate to but it's a dangerous person lurking in the dark right or even like in theory the when a stranger calls killer who like is just like some nut job who's like killing babysitters right you know um although again whether or not that the execution really destroyed the witness stranger calls killer but um <laughs> um you know so i there's something to be said for that and instead we get here we have to watch like this weird story where it's like oh you want us to feel sympathetic because he was born with jaundice and his mom hated him but then also he's killing everyone so no i don't feel sympathetic for him he ate an eyeball <laughs> and keep coming back to that 
He is trying to eat everyone's eyeballs. He is like a weird like pervert. I don't know what he was doing to that girl. The dr- this this movie's drunk sorority sister in bed at that one point. Oh yeah. Like um, <laughs> she wakes up and she's like appears to be sexually enjoying something, and then she's horrified. And it's like, was he? I don't want to know. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'd rather not. Um, so you know, we don't we don't need to know all of that. We just don't. Yeah. So sometimes in this case, though, I think the movie did at least say, okay, so we're going to do something totally different by giving him the full backstory, but we're going to make it as like balls to the wall, crazy as we possibly can involving incest, inexplicable jaundice, eyeball eating, murder, like whatever. Everything. Do it all. Just threw everything in there. Yeah. And somehow it's all on Christmas. We don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They, they really played up the Christmas in this one, but yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty fitting watch for the holidays. Yeah. Um, I I obviously prefer the original, but if you're looking for which one's the most Christmassy, <laughs> I guess. If you can find a good one. drinking game for the Black Christmas remake, I think you will have one of the best nights of your life. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Every time they cut to an eyeball. <laughs> oh, God. Shot. Eyeball shots. Eyeball shots. Oh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check it out. Check out both, though. Make sure you see the original first. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And then watch the original again immediately afterwards just to remind yourself of how (laughs) great it was. Yeah. That's that's a classic for me. All-time classic. I'm so glad we're in an era where it gets its due in, like, common, like, and just, like, general conversation about horror movies. You know? There was a time where people didn't pay as much attention to Black Christmas. They do now. I'm happy. Um, Yeah. I feel like it was always kind of overshadowed by the later slasher movies. Like Halloween. Halloween, Which is fair. Halloween is... Yeah, you know, in like the better film, I think on a technical level, but Black Christmas is up there and it's close, mm-hmm. and it's my favorite personally. So, yeah. So, um, uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy holidays. Happy yes, yes. Hanukkah. Whatever. All um, of them. Any holidays. Happy any holiday. Yes. And um, or uh, if you don't celebrate, <laughs> have a great winter time. Have a have a good cold time <laughs> it is the winter solstice right now as we're recording this so yes um, or was i guess yeah so if you're a pagan and you're out there doing your pagan rituals watch uh, sabrina on netflix yeah. they released their winter solstice special <laughs> just do however do whatever sort of celebration you like and hopefully involve some creepy christmas horror movies in it right what whatever like it is watch do. black christmas 1974 yeah yep that's our new ritual um, All right. so um from both of us, uh, have a happy holidays, and we'll see you at the movies. See you at the movies. Or in your attic. <laughs> <laughs>